Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied. I'm your host for the, today's episode. My name is Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO here at Thycotic. And it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm really excited about today's episode. And it's been quite a while since uh, I've had the opportunity to speak to JC. So I'd like to introduce you to my awesome guest. Uh, so JC, give us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do. Sure. Hey, Joseph, it's been way too long here. So I'm JC Vega. I'm the CISO at Devo, and we're a cloud-native logging and security analytics company. And before that, uh, I served with the U.S. government for almost 30 years uh, doing cybersecurity and doing a lot of the things that we're going to talk about here in real-world environments with real threats. Absolutely. It's fantastic to have you on the show, and I'm really excited because it's, it's, it has been way too long. And that's what I love about the podcast, because I get to talk to really good friends that I haven't spoke to in a long time. So it's always great to have you on. So today's theme and today's episode is all about the importance of cyber simulations and the importance of basically really bringing gamification into the business. And I couldn't, you know, it's so important. I always say that, you know, when I get involved in things like instant response, the problem is too many times in an instant response, it's sometimes the first time the organization's practicing their instant response plan. It's the first time they're even, you know, getting into other parts of the business being involved into it. And when we think about security, security is not just a security team response. It's not just, a, you know, an IT team response. It's a business response. And everyone must be involved. Um, so, I mean, for you, you've done many simulations in the past and, and, and gamification. How important is it in the industry that we really need to make this a priority um, and, and really organizations, you know, practice it, not just uh, talk about it? You know, we it's it's a top priority, and some of us uh, look at incidents, cyber incidents, as extinct extinction events for organizations, mm -hmm. and extinction events for jobs for certain individuals when, when they occur. And the important thing is, we previously we'd spend a lot on prevention and mm -hmm. protection, and that has now shifted to being able to detect and respond and recover, mm -hmm. have that resiliency within your organization when an attack occurs. That is a coordinated effort. That is a, an orchestrated event across the technology, but also across the business lines. If it was any other type of disaster, it mm -hmm. wouldn't be the security guards protecting the organization, or it wouldn't be the plumbers protecting the organization from flooding. It would be a whole of business response and the impact to the operation. For some reason, we've gotten the idea that cyber is only the technician's responsibility. It's a whole of business responsibility, especially when you look at even the most manual companies are dependent on technology now. Absolutely. And I know that this is one, you know, I've had so many discussions because uh, I've been talking about in some of my recent uh, speaking sessions that I do, I've been talking about a specific uh, incident response for a ransomware case. And the thing is that the organization, they had a plan, 
But the first time they were reacting to that plan was the time that the ransomware case was happening. And it meant that when they realized, one of the things they realized during that incident was that their backup strategy was not protecting them against ransomware. It was actually, they, that was the first time they realized, basically, because the, the backup was preventing them against things like hardware failures, um, you know, data corruption. Um, the ransomware attackers came in and they, they encrypted the production systems and they also encrypted the backup system because it was online using the same credentials. And this is something that organizations, you know, it's so important that they do these simulations. They get into, for example, the HR team being involved in the simulations. The CEO, the executive team need to be involved because they need to know their roles and responsibility. Um, they also need to make sure the legal team's involved because they might have to respond to things like law enforcement requests or data protection uh, uh, authorities and so forth. So we have to understand, you're absolutely right. When we have an incident, it's a business response. And therefore, we can't basically rely on just the security team, you know, picking it up and saying they're going to protect the business. You're absolutely right that the organization needs to be ready. And I always talk about it's the difference between having an incident response plan, but actually being incident response ready. Um, and if you practice, you, you know, you, you, you do the techniques, you do lessons, you do the role playing, it will, it will get more sinking into the memory, more into the repetitive tasks. Um, and it happens much faster and you respond better. And therefore, ultimately, your response effectiveness becomes you know, much more effective in, in being able to be resilient. You've heard me say something before that I, that I take this from my military experience is you train like you fight and you fight like you train. However, your training right now is how you're likely going to respond to an incident. And if you're not training, that's very indicative of your response. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something here that's very controversial. Your plan is worthless. <laughs> I'll say this to everyone out there. Your plan is worthless, but your planning is priceless. Mm-hmm. And that's to say that the act of planning, part of that is exercising. Part of that is coming up with what could possibly go wrong. And remember, the, the threat, we'd say in the military, the enemy gets mm-hmm. a vote in your actions that you're going to mm-hmm. take. Because they're going to respond and they're going to insert things that you may not be prepared for. But during your planning process, you can look at their most likely course of action. You can look at uh, the most dangerous course of action for you. You can look at those red herrings, those ideas that there's no way they would do that. But if they did, what would you do? And you can take into account, what would you do if your backups failed? And as you start to think these through, mm-hmm. there's probably, I would just, I'm just guessing here, 10 different things that you thought about, but you wrote down one in your plan, just one, but you mm-hmm. still have that knowledge of those 10 things that you thought about. So when the actual incident or event occurs, you still have that background, that experience of, you know, we did think about that. We did not include it, but we thought about it already. And now let's take all these different things that the team was thinking about, and now we have to react. Mm-hmm. The plan is a guide. It, yep. If you stick to the plan and that plan does not lead to success, then at some point you have to say, I have to deviate from this plan. But you better know the plan that you're deviating from. You don't yep. want to do this on the cuff. So how do you do that? 
that's where you practice. Mm -hmm. That's where you put the organization through different scenarios. And that's where that gamification starts Mm -hmm. and, or where it could really add great value. And, you know, we, we talk about gamification. What is it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, we, we all do it already. Uh, Most of us are competitive to, in one way, shape, or form. We want a better car. We want to wear nicer clothes. We want to be faster than the person next mm-hmm. to me, or I want to score higher. What do all of those things do? It's putting you at a benchmark against something. It could mm-hmm. be internally. It could be your own personal best. But the idea of being able to measure progress, mm-hmm. being able to see where you compare to yourself and to others, and being able to have a method to improve that. You know what you have to do to run faster. You know what you have to do to have a nicer car than your than your neighbor or a cleaner car than your than your brother or sister as you're mm-hmm. growing up uh, so that they get in trouble and you don't. Or, <laughs> you know, the, the whole idea of gamification now is mm-hmm. taking those attributes and putting them in a digital form and also making it come to life. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get into this idea of a decisive action training environment, creating yep. environments where decisions have to be made, where there's engagement, where it's unpredictable, it's scalable, mm-hmm. and the outcome isn't going to be the same every time because your mm-hmm. behavior, your decisions that you make or don't make are part of the variables in this very complex and scalable and adaptable environment. Mm-hmm. And creating that it seems right now that I'm giving you the, oh my gosh, this is an impossible task that we can do, <laughs> but it's not. It starts yeah. at a very basic level on you, the individual. Mm-hmm. What is it that you know? Where do you stand today? And we can get into that some more, but the idea mm-hmm. of creating, using this plan for incident mm-hmm. response and testing yourself on how well you perform measuring that and giving reinforcement. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not even assuming the role that you are trained or paid to do, because sometimes that person who has that role isn't going to be there to actually make the decision someone else has to, and that may be you. And so how do you react when you're degraded like that? The threat will still be there. At CyberTax, they don't happen nine to five. (laughs) They they will happen. (laughs) And, you know, even I remember, you know, when some of the major, the likes of uh, NotPetya and WannaCry, um, when I was talking to to peers and CISOs, some of them were on vacation calling for help. They were <laughs> they were on family vacations um, with very you know limited you know phone connections and internet connections in the middle of major incidents. So you're absolutely right. Sometimes other people you have to sometimes practice those role plays and changing roles and being in other people's positions because sometimes you might need to pick that up. So a question question, JC, what? Where would you know for organizations who are really thinking about let's say gamifications and simulations? Where's a good place to start? Where, where would you recommend they um, you know because many many have been in the last couple of years thinking about you know incident response and thinking about their you know uh, detection and response and threat hunting other types of activities. What's a good place to start for them? You know, is it do they need to have those discussions already with the board and the executive teams, uh, other departments? What, what's what's the starting place for this? You know, it, it's it's. Uh... There's a lot of tools. There's a lot of organizations out there. And there's a lot of people who are willing to take your money to help you do this. And at some point, it does make sense to bring in uh, external help 
to really professionalize and mm-hmm. hone your skills. So I, I am not uh, against that at all. In fact, we use outside services. I've used outside services and we have you know, used professionals mm-hmm. for, for things like that. But I would say it starts with you and your organization, depending on where you're at. And first of all, identifying what are the most important uh, incidents mm-hmm. or events that you need to be aware of. And, and what we call these are the your priority information mm-hmm. uh, th- that you need to have, priority information reports. And one of them is your critical information reports. What, mm-hmm. And what I say to that is, what is that? What are those handful of events that you would call your CEO on a Wednesday evening mm-hmm. when you know he's walking his daughter down the aisle or she's with her daughter, uh, you know, when, she, when her daughter's giving birth, that you're going <laughs> to call her at that time because she or he has to know right now that something yeah. happened. What are those events? And there aren't mm-hmm. a lot. Yep. It's a kind of a category of events. Uh, it could be that, you know, you had a major breach and mm-hmm. it's, it's on the news right now and you want them to hear it from you first. Yep. It could be that there was a catastrophic failure of some sort in your environment. And, mm-hmm. and, but talk about those and then share those with your, with your senior leader mm-hmm. and say, okay, in the event that this happens, what would you like us to do first? Mm-hmm. What are the first steps that you would like us to do? One of those first steps is bring the team together. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, we talked about IT. It's a it's a major data breach. So I'm going to call in the CISO. I'm going to call in the techs. I'm going to call in the uh, security engineers. I'm going to call in. But who else should you call in? Mm-hmm. Call in your professional services teams, the one who have direct contact with your customers. Yep. Call in your corporate communications because they're the ones who are going to vet everything mm-hmm. that leaves your organization. Have a way to notify every employee. Mm-hmm. of what's going on so they don't hear it first on the news. That would be your HR team. Mm-hmm. And so notice I said there was a breach or some type of technical issue. Mm-hmm. But the last few people that I said to notify, none of them are the technicians. Mm-hmm. This is about getting the right people in place to prepare to defend the company from an extinction event. Okay. Yep. Call in your lawyer. Your lawyer probably has the incident response team uh, on retainer. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's very methodical steps that have to happen and things that you need to do. But if you don't practice this mm-hmm. and they're not prepared to take that call, then it's going to, it could be chaos just getting those people together and then bringing them all together mm-hmm. at a certain time and then set up a cadence on when you're going to, what you're going to do after that. Now I'm getting more into the details, but first Mm -hmm. bring the team together is one of those first things. Okay. So I just said, bring the team together. So what can you do right now? Who's the team? Mm -hmm. Who's the team that I need to bring that? What do they bring to, to this? And so that's very initial steps is find out who your team is in the event of a crisis. Yeah, because it's, it is crisis management. I mean, that's you're absolutely right. It very it's not, much is. It's not an instant response. It's a crisis management. Instant response is part of that crisis management you know, mechanism. And it reminds me, every, every time I think about this, and I, 
the reason why it's important to do simulations and, and, and do the gamification is it always reminds me back to an incident. You know, I'm based in Estonia. And many years ago in Estonia, we, of course, we had the 2007, you know, cyber war attack. You know, me being the survivor of the cyber war is always a great, great story to tell. But as part of that, <laughs> One of the things I always remember is, you know, being an incident responder and helping organizations recover from that scenario is that at the time that was happening, so DDoS attack, you know, it's bringing services down. And I always remember, you know, when, when I always think about the cases that made me learn something, and, and, and I think it's always important to share, is that sometimes your DR or incident response plan is more harmful if you haven't practiced it, if you haven't went through that simulation. And a particular bank, who did in basically in, during the DDoS attack, they did have a DR plan. They did have an incident response plan, but it wasn't customized to the type of incident they were having. It was customized for hardware failure. It was customized for data corruption, but it wasn't customized for a DDoS attack. So their DR plan basically you know, brought up their disaster, their backup systems into production. They brought basically, so they ended up having an active-active scenario. And that meant that they had two production systems online. One was periodically been hit by a DDoS attack and the other one was not. But they end up meaning that that system, because it was periodically online, that transactions were also happening through that system as well as the new the system is brought up as a disaster recovery. So they end up having two, basically, systems telling the truth. Um, and it meant that as their DR plan, as the DDoS attack stopped and went away, they now had two systems that they had to keep maintaining for another year because they maintain those transactions of financial transactions. And that meant that their disaster recovery plan was more costly. Their response to the incident was more costly because it didn't customize, it didn't simulate, it didn't think about those scenarios. And it meant that basically from a financial perspective, this was something that was, you know, they then decided that they needed to go through these simulations. They needed to ask those questions you're saying, what type of crisis are you gonna be dealing with? What if this happens? What if this happens? And therefore, you know, augment it and go through the simulations to see what things they should have been doing in those scenarios. And without doing the simulations, they don't have those questions. Now, and, and, and that's important because one of the questions that you have to ask yourself is, where am I most vulnerable? And mm -hmm. we all know uh, within our, ourselves, within our family, within our teams, within our organization, where we are accepting risk, mm -hmm. uh, whether, whether we want to or not, but we know that we're accepting risk. So if you know that you're accepting risk, you have to put some mitigation or, or something in place so that it isn't uh, all the risk and you just, mm -hmm. you're just managing the residual risk. But the idea behind knowing where you're at risk, and if you see a threat that is attacking you there, it may change how you behave. Mm -hmm. Also, you want to know uh, what kind of threats are out there. So what are you protecting against? And so part of this simulation or this gamification mm -hmm. of cybersecurity, and, and keep in mind, so far, you and I have not even talked about that this being a technological event. No. That this, is, <laughs> this, this, is a, this could be a tabletop. Yep. But uh, And I'm a fan of tabletops, but I consider tabletops a a crawl phase mm -hmm. of a crawl, walk, run uh, mentality where, you know, the best you can do right now is crawl. Once you learn to crawl, you can walk. Once you learn to walk, you can mm -hmm. run uh, with your planning. Uh, so first, know yourself. 
know your enemy and know what how what you need to defend and how you would likely defend that okay this so now put that in writing share that with the organization mm -hmm. now come up with a plan given that scenario and now you have the the beginning of your incident response plan mm -hmm. who would be involved in this so that's just a plan now and probably just a handful of people know it the one mm -hmm. who knows it most is probably the incident response lead and he's going to be he or she is going to be frustrated as mm -hmm. all get out because no one else is reading it yep. okay that that's a fact uh so how do you how do you make it come to life mm -hmm. so that's where the tabletop exercise comes where now you put these scenarios in front mm -hmm. of them and you everybody has a plan everyone has a pencil with him and then you start going through it and you start to say, okay, this is what happened. This is the external variable that occurred. What are we going to do? And someone gives an answer as, oh, well, the plan doesn't say that. Well, what's the right answer? You have the experts mm -hmm. there. Well, the right answer is to do it in this order, not the order. Well, let's change that right now. Yeah. Let's make that adjustment right now. Yeah. So then it, it, it's a living document. And what you do is you take parts and pieces of that plan because you don't want to do it all, you know, whole run through because there's going to be updates and you want to do this continuously. It's a living document. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the train like you fight, fight like you train. If yep. you're always training as if there's going to be an incident, then you're updating. When the actual incident occurs, you're going to break out those plans, but you also have the resident knowledge in everybody to be able to contribute to the success of, mm -hmm. uh, of overcoming this event. And I'll get into a little bit here what a decisive training action environment is. That's when you're mm -hmm. immersed. That's when you're immersed in it. Uh, when I taught at West Point, that's where I, mm -hmm. uh, one of the founders of the Army Cyber Institute is one of the things I did before I retired from the government, yep. is we had cadets. These are freshmen in mm -hmm. college. Every single cadet had to box as one of their requirements for graduation. Mm -hmm. Had to learn boxing. And many think, oh, well, it's because you're in the military, because that, you know, you fight <laughs> and you do these different things. That's not the main goal. The main goal of boxing for cadets mm -hmm. is that they are taught how to defend themselves in a fight. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they know how to block. They also know how to throw a punch. And they're taught this is how you block, this is how you punch, and you get to spar with somebody. Mm -hmm. But you're learning muscle memory there, and it's being yep. reinforced. Okay, but what makes this a decisive training action environment? When you're actually there toe-to-toe -to -toe with an opponent who is your weight class, mm -hmm. that opponent is really trying to hit you. That opponent, opponent is really trying to score points. And for some people, they've never been in a fight before ever. Mm -hmm. And now you have an opponent, a worthy opponent, who was trained as much mm -hmm. as you, trying to pummel you. And you have to rely on your training. And what does that instill? That instills fear, is you're naturally scared. But even though you're scared, you're having an emotional experience, you have to channel that training that mm -hmm. you have, and you have to be able to react and fight through it and defend yourself and hopefully win. But the mm -hmm. training there is that emotional experience of being scared and being able to rely on your training and experience. 
that translates into a cyber incident mm -hmm. of when one happens, you will most likely experience some emotions that you haven't felt to that degree in a, a long time. And when I have put people through training environments, cyber mm -hmm. training environments, I ask them, when was the last time you felt this way? One of them says, I felt this way when I was getting ready to jump out of a plane just two weeks ago and I was skydiving. <laughs> I said, it was that emotional? He said it was. And it's amazing mm -hmm. what that does is that changes your composition, but you also remember, you yeah. remember the experience. So when you, so when that happens again, our fight or flight comes back and says, mm -hmm. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm mm -hmm. going to run to this fight and I'm going to do my part. Because when, when you're in a high stress environment like that, mm -hmm. predictability of behavior is very important with your team members. You want to know how they're going to behave. You want to know that they, if they did it wrong, you want to give them immediate reinforcement mm -hmm. on what to do right. If they did it right, you want to praise that so that you can give that immediate reinforcement because that's where you're going to change behavior. And that's where you're really learning. That's what's so great about uh, online gaming mm -hmm. is the feedback is immediate. Yep. You have a scorecard. You have a progress card. You have a, a progress uh, bar. You have leaderboards. Mm -hmm. You're measuring how good you are and you're getting that response right away. We can do that in cyber. We have capture yeah. the flag events. We have other events that we do where we're taking this event, mm -hmm. we're digitizing it, and now you have a new way of absorbing knowledge in a very experiential uh, platform. So taking this plan, exercising it with your team, mm -hmm. And then doing a no notice, here's something just happened. Hey, this is just an exercise. You can tell the key mm -hmm. people when you do a phishing campaign, you're doing that. Yep. But what are you going to do with it? How are you going to give immediate response? What I do when somebody, when we have our phishing campaigns mm -hmm. and somebody writes to me and says, is this phishing? <laughs> I send them huge amounts of praise. We mm -hmm. even give gift cards away to people for reporting something that yep. Not to everybody, because there's some unpredictability that you mm -hmm. want in there, but you want the behavior of let me know, as opposed to, of course, this is fishing. Duh. Mm -hmm. Why are you sending yeah. it to me? You should do the right thing. It's, that's also reinforcement, but it's not positive. It's not a, yeah, it's a negative. It's a negative point is that you, what you're doing is that they will remember that the next time and they won't respond because they get that. You don't want negative reinforcement because right. that basically deters people from doing the right thing. That's right. I would much prefer over-reporting than under-reporting. Yep. And so the idea of creating that whole environment, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, one of the, it does remind me is that, you know, for we want to make sure as a, as a pen tester and going through, you know, ethical hacks in the past, the one challenge that I find is that when you get into organizations, that employees are not afraid to report. They're not afraid to speak out. They're not afraid to ask for help. That's basically organizations where it's very, very difficult to stay hidden. The, for the attackers to be stealthy. And I think, you know, and if it's getting positive reinforcement for people to do that, turning that turns the employees into a powerful defender in organizations. And that's what you want to be. They're on the front line. And I hate the term of, you know, employees are weakest link. I hate that term because it's that negative reinforcement. We want to turn them into powerful 
basically, you know, allies to, you know, the organization's defense so that when they do see something suspicious, they're not afraid to ask questions. They're not afraid to ask their colleague, does this look right? Is there something I should click on? Should I report this? That is basically, and, and if we recognize that and, and reward that, that uh, mechanism, it reminds me of a book, The ABCs, which is the Awareness, Behavior, and Culture. And it's important. Awareness is one thing. It's a point-in-time measurement. But we have to change that. We have to get to where it's that immediate, it's continuous, and that's where you focus around the behavior side of things. But ultimately, you want to get it as part of the organizational's culture, where everyone's working together. Everyone's not afraid to ask peers for advice or report things. To your point is that over-reporting gets in allows you to at least have a baseline of where you can actually look uh, for potential threats and filter those out. Um, that's for attackers. Attackers, when they're looking at organizations, when they see organizations where I have a couple of methodologies. One is, is it's the amount of time it takes me to do something, how much resources it takes me to do something, how much it's going to cost me. But my fourth one is how stealthy can I remain? How, how you know, what's the potential of me being detected? Um, and that's always the difficult one to measure. And, and if you get organizations where people talk, you're going to be detected as early as, you know, early in that attack path. So you're absolutely right. And another thing it reminds me, that goes into the ABC side of things is um, I read a book uh, earlier this year, which was Atomic Habits. And we want to get that where it becomes a habit, um, that you've done it so often. You know, like, as you talk about in, in, in simulations and gaming, it's that continuous, you, you get into a habit that all of a sudden it becomes almost assimilated. You, you, you sometimes don't even know you're doing it because you practice it so often. And that's where we want to get it into, where it just becomes natural uh, process. It becomes a habit. Um, so that's important. So I think I just kind of, and I also think that we're actually getting into where, you know, I've started seeing, you know, even hacking becoming almost like an e-sport <laughs> where basically people right. are actually going to be, you know, watching uh, people, you know, and learning from those skills. Because I think, I, I think we're in the change in the industry where that immediate response is you're talking about, that positive reinforcement and learning and, and uh, the gamification is going to be what's really needed. Because it, I think it's important that we get into Rather than being reactive, we've been very reactive security threats. We're always fixing the threats of yesterday and not thinking about what's the future proofing. Um, and future proofing does mean that we need the people to be involved in that. We can't just have them as being, uh, let's say, passengers in this. They have to be involved. And therefore, you know, they also have to be included. And that will get us to where we can get to the point where we can be more resilient against the future threats. We need to start future proofing security threats rather than just always this being reactive approach. No, and that is so true. I'm going to highlight one point you started with there, and that is the the people are the eyes and ears. You know what is right on your from your field of view. You know what is normal. You know when something is is out of place. Uh, I coming in uh, to assess something, I may not be able to mm -hmm. see what you see. So it's important that you report those anomalies. Yep. And the idea of training the people, you mentioned where we're going today. I mean, if you look at uh, our attention span now, it's very, very short. Mm -hmm. uh, I, if you're scheduling me for an hour-long meeting, it better be good, and it better have different parts <laughs> to it because uh, you're going to lose me uh, otherwise. Mm -hmm. So the your meetings now have to be adjusted in very small increments. We, I was part of a very large uh, conference with the previous uh, company mm -hmm. and 
everybody, in fact, you and I presented at one of those conferences <laughs> together. <laughs> uh, and the presentations, a lot of them were an hour long. And then we found when we went online that the attention span was 18 minutes, 18 <laughs> minutes. And so the other 42 minutes, no one's paying attention that mm -hmm. much. So you had to adjust from there. Look, when, you, when you're online now and the, yep. say, TikTok or whatever, they're just very, very short videos. And you may watch them forever, not realize that you just wasted a, <laughs> you know, an hour of your day. But there's a value proposition there, and that is, is it worth it to me? Am I getting enough out of this to continue doing this? Because mm -hmm. there's other things I could be doing with my time. So that's where you have to make your training very impactful mm -hmm. and short burst. And then you got to measure whether they're retaining that skill. They're retaining mm -hmm. that experience. And then what you do with that is you re-engage. This isn't a one and done. Yep. This is what you did last time. This is what you scored. This is where you did very well. And this is where you needed improvement. Mm -hmm. Notice I didn't say where you failed. This is where you needed improvement. Mm -hmm. Now, the second time around, I'm going to measure you on those same things. Plus, I'm going to add additional tasks. I want to see if you're maintaining that success of the things you did well. And mm -hmm. oftentimes, that gets overlooked. We only focus on where you need improvement. And so there's so much effort that's put into that that the things that you are really good at fall to the wayside. Now you need to yep. improve on that. So you have to acknowledge what someone did well, where they need improvement, mm -hmm. and then you add to that. And so, and then you compare them. Here's your progress. Yep. And again, you have to have some unpredictability to that so that your performance will determine the outcome. Mm -hmm. And you can do that at the individual level. You can do that at the, at, now I say for, for, a lot of the people who are probably listening mm -hmm. here, you have two roles in an individual. You have your role as uh, individual contributor. You have your role mm -hmm. as a leader. And sometimes you're not the same uh, persona. Yep. So be sure to test yourself in both where you're just a member of another team that may be larger, but you also have a, a leadership role where mm -hmm. you have directs that you have to uh, account for. And then look at the role of the performance. One thing that I, I stress is that it's a team. Mm -hmm. If you succeed, whenever I'm hiring somebody or taking over a team or joining a team, I tell them, I don't want the MVP. Mm -hmm. I don't want the most valuable player. I don't want that award. I don't, I'm not concerned whether anyone on my team gets the MVP award for the mm -hmm. whole company. I want the most valuable team award. Yep. I want the team success. Because if I get the team success and everybody succeeds, the organization succeeds, uh, mm -hmm. And that means sometimes you don't get to choose your team, but you do get to choose how you're going to train and prepare them. Absolutely. And the idea of taking that individual, again, you as an individual contributor, you as mm -hmm. a team leader, your team, then you can break it out to your division, your directorate, and then the whole of organization, and you start building on that. But there are mm -hmm. certain things that we all need to know, and that goes to that individual contributor they have eyes and ears. When I ask yep. who's responsible for security in, in our group meetings, I expect everybody to mm -hmm. raise their hand from the person working the front desk admin to the janitor, to the cleaning team, to the developers. Like, mm -hmm. don't wait for someone else to check your code that it is secure. You should be, you should own that. Mm -hmm. 
they're checking to see that it's the standard or if it can be better. You should do what you can. Don't push that on to anybody else. And the idea of practicing that and getting everyone involved, because once again, if they have ownership in this, they have skin mm-hmm. in the game, yep. they will want to make it better. And you never know who might be that hero of the day, that hero of the mm-hmm. battle, because people will step up, yep. but they, you got to create that environment where that desired behavior is rewarded. And you don't have people waiting for direction. You have people leaning forward. And that, that's a whole bigger discussion mm-hmm. of what are the parameters? How do you prepare them for that? And it, cause you don't want your janitor getting on a keyboard to fix something. Uh, but you want to, Hey, within your scope, mm-hmm. you know, what right looks like here. You're seeing somebody who's acting strangely, mm-hmm. or, uh, you often say when you go to a university, if you want to know what's going on, what the, uh, get a pulse on, mm-hmm. on the students, go to the cafeteria, Yep. talk to the cafeteria workers. Same goes with your organization. Talk to the people who are having encounters with everybody. And it's amazing what you could learn and use that for the benefit of the company, not against everyone. Again, Mm -hmm. you want it to be a very positive experience. Yeah. You just reminded me of, uh, I I did a project 11, 12 years ago, which was about, it was a policy enforcement into an organization. We were doing awareness training and stuff like that. It always reminds me uh, that, we were failing. We, we actually, we considered we'd failed because we were enforcing security. We weren't embedding it in a, you know, let's say um, in a way that was positive or, you know, empowering. We were forcing, you must do it this way. This is the secure way. There's no other way. And ultimately I remember we, we'd failed and we were like trying to, we were back to the drawing board and it got to a point where there was a, kids were doing a project at the workplace. And we said, you mind if we, ask the kids, kids some questions. We want to just get their feedback into something we're working on because we just decided that we needed to take a different approach and this was just one opportunity. So we asked the kids and ultimately the result was that they said, well, you know, what if you, what if you do your policy as like a cartoon, like a, like a, a storyboard? And we thought, oh, that's interesting. That's a different approach that we hadn't thought of before. So we thought, okay, we'll take these you know, little, as you mentioned, small attention spans of little like four, you know, uh, scenario, you know, drawing board. And uh, put it into like different use cases, you know, plug in USBs or phishing campaigns and stuff like that. And then we got into, well, where, where do you, how do you think we should communicate it to the organization? What's the best way? And they came back and they said two, two things was put these in the canteen, the cafeteria. And the second place was in the back of the bathroom doors. I always remember that. I was like, and they said, you'll get two minutes of uninterrupted time per day where the employee <laughs> is paying attention <laughs> to your security policy. And I loved it because it meant it was reinforcement it was funny it reduced things like translation costs and all their other things and we could simply just you know rotate it every couple of months put a new message on the door in the cafeteria on the elevators and it was really kind of it, it really kind of brought me up into thinking about that we need to make things that very focused very short and easily available <laughs> and ultimately that that just reinforcement gets into creating good habits and the second part that came out of it as well was that we realized that the best people to communicate sometimes was the victims of previous cyber attacks. They become your best advocates because they know what the impact's like. So right. involving them, and I, I think this is where really organizations can really benefit from is going out to other organizations. Because one of the things within the industry, what we really do 
is unfortunately is that when organizations become victims of cyber attacks, we point and we blame. It's because you didn't do good practices. You didn't do this. But we, we, what we should be doing is saying, hey, let's, let's hear your story. Let's, what happened? You know, let's learn from those lessons. Because hearing their story and understanding about what things went well and what didn't go so well, why did they become a victim? What was the failures? We can learn from that. We, we, don't want, we don't want organizations hiding their incidents. We want them bringing them in the forefront early enough so that we can make a difference. We can include them in our own simulations so they can actually teach us about things that we could have done differently or we, you know, we should learn from them. I think that's something that we, we should get in the industry is really saying, rather than this finger pointing when incidents do happen, I think we should basically come together and be more caring and, and work together, involve them in our incident response you know, simulations, invite them in uh, because the best people that can tell you when you might have an area for improvement is those who's been through it before, those who have seen it, um, those who have been in a, a, an instant response that didn't go so well. Um, and I think that's where really, you know, I think that's where the future simulations where we can really improve on. You know, that, that's a great point. Uh, two points that I'll comment on here is the victim shaming. Mm-hmm. is we have to get away from that because you know, we've all heard it and it's already one of those things that's, you know, you hear it, you know, it's not whether or not you've been, whether you're going to get hacked, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a matter of when you're going to get hacked. Yeah. So uh, it, it just goes on and on and on. But the idea of, uh, we call them gray beards, mm-hmm. gray beards, get those people who have been there and done that, get their knowledge and use it in your organization. And I'll bring up a second point to your mm-hmm. incident response that uh, you made earlier. It's who do you bring in? Mm-hmm. Who do you bring in? Don't just bring in your team. Yep. Uh, I ask people when when you had a crisis, who did you call? Uh, let's see. If, if it was, let's say, a, a, a crisis at home, mm-hmm. yeah, you probably called a family member. You probably called a neighbor. You probably called uh emergency medical assistance mm-hmm. or, or law enforcement or somebody, and you re- quickly realize that the help came from outside your organization. Yep. So bring them into your crisis response. What is, how is law enforcement going to help you? Mm-hmm. What can they do? What can they not do? And if there's a gap, how do you fill that gap? What are, in, what is your incident response team that you have on retainer going to do or not do? Mm-hmm. What other assets do you have that you could bring to bear? Mm-hmm. Uh, I participate in a, a lot of different communities uh, for cyber professionals. And I'll tell you, as much as I do coaching and mentoring, I'm also the recipient of uh, a lot of coaching and mm-hmm. mentoring. So when I need somebody, I have that relationship established mm-hmm. well in advance so that I have an expectation of who I'm going to call as opposed to having a crisis and wondering, oh my gosh, I'm at my <laughs> most vulnerable state of my organization right now. Am I going to trust this person? Mm-hmm. And I, I use this uh, line here is that you move or you respond at the speed of trust. Yep. And if you don't have that trust established in advance, it may become a hindrance. So as you look at your incident response who are some of the service providers that you are relying on? Mm-hmm. Uh, I participated in one exercise where not only did a major organization do their exercise, 
they brought in one of their partner companies that they had dependencies on mm-hmm. into the exercise because they realized that if one is hit, it would impact both of them. And this okay. organization was from the financial institution and they took a lot of risk in exposing their processes with this other uh, company, mm-hmm. but it showed the dedication and the confidence and trust that they had in one another. Because when a, the event occurs, there's going to be dependencies there that they're going to rely upon. They're absolutely so spot on. Th- that's yeah. so important. One of, one of my one of my sayings is uh, that uh, even for a security professional as myself, I know that I can control certain aspects of my security, but I'm only as secure as the society around me. And that's why it's important, important that we all have to realize that um, as organizations, that we're only as you know, secure as the society, as the partnerships and relationships that they have established. So therefore, when you want an incident response plan, you can't do it alone. <laughs> you you right. must involve those. It's, 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 it's fundamental that you must involve that social sphere around you that you become dependent on. So I, I'd like to summarize it up here. And it's been, JC, it's been fantastic having you on. That's absolutely, you know, I really enjoy this. I'd love to, 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 to discuss and go on for, for, for more time. Uh, but any, any final thoughts, any things that you would you know, want to tell the audience um, and maybe some good resources or recommendations um, that, you know, that you've learned along the way? Sure. So, so one thing is uh, I'd like to have one, train like you fight, fight like you train. Mm-hmm. Because if you take that mantra, you're, you're going to be as ready as you possibly can for the incident that may mm-hmm. come up. And you heard me say it, you move or you respond at the speed of trust, develop those relationships in advance. So mm-hmm. identify who you have dependencies on and who has dependencies on you, not just inside your organization, yeah. but outside your organization, reach out to law enforcement and your mm-hmm. community. If it's in the United States, reach out to InfraGuard, which is a threat sharing organization run by the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigations. But there's a lot of other communities and organizations around the world that do this Mm -hmm. sharing. What that introduces you to is a network, a team of teams that you could rely upon because their network may hold the key to your success in the next incident. Absolutely. Very wise words. And uh, for the audience... Um, you know, definitely JC is an expert in this area. Definitely take his advice. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, it could save you when, you know, the time comes and, and you're in the middle of an incident. So, so JC, it's been awesome having you on the show. Um, fantastic and very knowledgeable and very experienced. So, uh, thank you for taking the time and hopefully, you know, we can have you on the show in future, uh, episodes for other, um, discussions and topics. It'd be great to have you back on. So again, 401 access tonight. Um, subscribe. We come out every two weeks with new guests, uh, new uh, themes and topics uh, to keep you in the know and updated and educated on the latest cybersecurity trends. So thank you very much, Joe Carson, and uh, joined here with JC. So it's been a pleasure. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.